Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Going Dutch Podcast. A look at the wonderful world of German football brought to you by someone who doesn't have the fashion sense of Julian Nagelsmann. I know this is a podcast and I know you can't see me, but like you and I both know that's true anyway. Like I do pretty much all of my clothes shopping at a fairly cheap UK chain. So, yeah, I definitely don't have the fashion sense that he does. We are into the slow descent to winter now. I think that's more than fair to say. I've been having to put the heating on more recently. And I've been wearing more layers again. I'm no longer in t-shirt and shorts weather. So, that's not good. I do remember last year on the NFL Blitz saying that the first week of the NFL season is sort of like... The indicator for me that winter is coming and we're definitely, well we're now into week three of the season so we're way past that now. But yeah, it's a shame but luckily I have to wear my headphones whilst doing this, those big clunky headphones and I say that like you know them but you know I have to wear big headphones for recording this and in the summer it can be a bit hard to wear them and do this podcast because obviously it just means I overheat whereas now actually they're providing a source of warmth so I'm more comfortable doing this podcast than I am not doing this podcast almost but anyway enough about that welcome to the show today hope you're doing well hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual remember to go to the sports blitz website there's a lot of writing on there including the first edition of going deutsch goes continental for this season we will be talking about the european action later on in the podcast anyway but i sort of go more in depth on the article than i do in this podcast and also i did a article earlier this week talking about the new german national team manager which is what we will be talking about at the beginning of this podcast, you may be able to guess who it is. Well, you know who it is because you probably keep up with more sports news than just listening to this podcast. And I've already referenced him anyway in this episode. But yeah, lots of good stuff on the Sports Blitz website. At least I'd like to think it's good stuff because I write it. I also do weekly NFL reviews. So the week one and week two reviews are already up. So go and give them a read if you're a fan of the NFL. If you're not a fan of the NFL, then what I would recommend doing instead of reading those articles, I don't know, watching Defunct Land on YouTube. I mean, come on, he's absolutely fantastic. The stuff he documents and the amount of research he puts in is phenomenal. So go and listen to Defunct Land. He's absolutely fantastic. I guess that's a a non-sports recommendation and the first thing I could think of that wasn't a sports recommendation. Though, if you do like sports, and particularly virtual sports, and people talking about playing virtual sports, then may I recommend the Thousand Hours podcast to you. Plug. I do need to plug it better than I have done. But obviously, it's a podcast I've been a part of for the last year now, alongside my co-hosts Alex Towles and Alex Tam Brown, talking about all things Football Manager, and I thought this time, just for... Something different in this episode, I would play a small clip from the Thousand Hours podcast, so please take a listen. There was one more transfer I brought in, it was a free signing. Now, there's something I haven't told you through this entire thing, which is that when Arsenal signed Skamaka, they signed him to a two-year deal for 90 million. Two-year deal. 
He walked. Oh my god. <laughs> I got him back oh on my the god. Oh <laughs> Red god. Donald Trump the art of a deal. Um. <laughs> so, 90 million. From their end was 18 games, 11 goals. From my end was just missing him for the season. Oh, that's, this, that's, that's money laundering. That is crime. <laughs> that is crime. It's the meme. It, it's nine, I, I give you uh, Gianluca Scamacca. You give me 90 million euros plus Gianluca Scamacca. <laughs> So yes, please give that a listen if that's sort of thing that you would be interested in. For the time being though, let's talk about the world of German football and let's talk about the biggest story from German football this weekend. Of course, well actually it came just before the weekend. But Germany have a new manager and that manager is Julian Nagelsmann who obviously was sacked midway through last season by Bayern Munich in a decision that we'll say wasn't the smartest, as could be seen by the podcast I did straight afterwards, calling the decision stupid, and then by their results afterwards, where they essentially threw away a treble because of the decision they made, well done to Oliver Kahn and Hassan Salihamidzic, who you'll notice are no longer part of Bayern Munich. So realistically and i've gone into more detail about this on the article that i mentioned earlier which i will link to in the description as well nagelsman is the best manager that the dfb could have got in terms of just pure talent he's obviously not the best german manager that's out there at the moment that'll be jürgen klopp but i think we all knew that there wasn't really any chance of jürgen klopp leaving liverpool to take the german national team job at the moment i am convinced that he will do at some point but that point isn't now so if they couldn't get him realistically there were two options that they could go for that I think would have been good hires that was Louis van Gaal and Nagelsmann I know I in the emergency pod when Flick was sacked I sort of expressed doubt in van Gaal but as I said in a later article on the website the more I thought about it the more I warmed to the idea and thought yes this could actually work because obviously Van Gaal does have a lot of experience managing international teams and you would assume that he'd be able to take that through with the German national team as well. But Nagelsmann is a choice that makes a lot of sense because he is a very talented manager. He has managed at the top of the German game already with Bayern Munich and well, the decision to sack him was stupid and it is worth pointing out that he won the Bundesliga in Bavaria which you know isn't too much of an achievement but also his performances in the Champions League particularly in the 2022-23 season were exceptional so he is clearly a talented manager I think that is absolutely obvious for everyone to see and hopefully he can take that talent into managing the German national team. Now I said that the reason I was skeptical about Nagelsmann taking the job is that he wouldn't want to take the job Because he's actually going to be earning less now than he was doing literally nothing. His contract at Bayern Munich was worth £7 a year and they still had to pay him that. Despite obviously him no longer managing the team. His contract at the DFB is reportedly €4 million a year. Which you'll notice is less. And that's a £3 reduction in salary to not only have to do stuff. But also to take on... 
one of the most stressful jobs in world football at the moment. Obviously, the DFB is sort of in crisis with how the flick either went and it goes deeper than the manager, obviously. And it's a lot for him to try and fix. And it's something that he can't do alone, of course. So I, I thought, why would he want to have a reduction in salary for a very stressful job? Well, of course, there is a reason why he would want to take the job. Not only because the prestige of being the German national team manager is absolutely enormous, but also the thing that makes the job more appealing right now is that the Euros, the upcoming Euros, is going to be hosted in Germany. And taking your country into an international competition is fantastic enough in and of itself, but to take them into an international competition that you're hosting must be absolutely exceptional. I'm sure Jürgen Klinsmann can speak to how great it was managing Germany through the 2006 World Cup, and Nagelsmann will have a similar feeling taking Germany through the 2024 Euros. So that is a big pull, and that's probably why he was so willing to take the job on, and you'll notice that his contract does end after the 2024 Euros, because maybe he doesn't want to stick around for the rebuild, maybe he's worried about how the team formally wants an early out if it goes wrong. He might renew after the Euros if, you know, they do really well. I wouldn't rule that out, obviously. But yeah, that's that's why he would want to take this job. So it works from the DFB's perspective for the reason about Nagelsmann being a really talented manager. It works from Nagelsmann's perspective because he gets to manage through a Euros that Germany are hosting. There are still worries about him and I think there are genuine concerns about whether he'll work for the German national team. The first and most obvious reason being that he has never managed in international football before and he has got a steep sort of learning curve with not the most talented squad to get them ready for a international competition that is going to be taking place in about nine months time. The other worry is the fact that whilst I don't think he should have been sacked by Bayern Munich, there was one legitimate concern which was how he seemed to rub some of the star players up the wrong way because his system sort of depends on everyone putting the team first and that might be really hard to do if you have one of the star players of a German national team who is desperate to play every single minute of every game in a home Euros and you're telling him no you've got to sit on the bench now. We saw it backfire sometimes at Bayern and it might also backfire with the German national team. I would also probably be worried about how flexible he's going to be. I think especially recently any success the German national team have had has been through them being pragmatic. That was particularly true in the 2014 World Cup and was documented heavily in the fantastic book by Raphael Honigstein, Das Reboot, which I would recommend reading. And I do worry that Nagelsmann may be too stubborn towards his system. That might not be true, but I don't feel like this German national team squad is best aligned with the sort of tactics he played at Leipzig and Bayern, and so he is going to have to change his system around if he wants to maximise the chance of success with the German national team. Overall, though, I am very sort of, I don't want to say thrilled because I'm not a German national team fan, but if I was a German national team fan, I would be thrilled with this appointment. I do think it is a very 
good one. It's the best one they could have got. And also, what I think might be underreported by media around the world, but is definitely being picked up on in Germany, is that Sandro Wagner is going to remain as the assistant to Nagelsmann. I think that's a really good move. He's clearly shown that he's a very talented, promising manager, not only with Untashing in the fourth tier last year, but also with the German national team. I think they won against France because of Sandro Wagner more than anyone else. So that combination of Nagelsmann and Wagner is going to be exceptional, I do think. It is the best possible option the DFB could have got. So best of luck to them as they prepare for the Euros to be held in Germany next year. So we'll have to see how Julian Nagelsmann does when he has his first international friendlies next month. But there is plenty of Bundesliga action to get out of the way before then. And let's start by going into match day 5 of the season. And let's start off with the first game from this weekend as well. Stuttgart 3, Darmstadt 1. A lot of positive things to say about Stuttgart in this game. The scoring was opened in the 17th minute. Zagger do, 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 push pineapple, shake the tree, putting it into his own net. That would make it 1-0 to Darmstadt, but after that, Stuttgart were easily the better side. It was plain sailing for them. Equalising in the 22nd minute, Sergio Gerasi taking the ball in the box before laying it off for Enzo Milo. Gerasi would then score in the 32nd minute, a hard hit finish from outside the box into the top corner. And then he would add one more in the 92nd minute with an amazing chip. It took a lot of confidence to do that, it feels like. That's the sort of shot that only a confident striker who's on that sort of streak would attempt the lesser confident striker would try and probably take it around the keeper and try and get a look on an open goal but Givassi you know he knew that he could he could score from there and just an amazing chip over the keeper up to Franz on the platform formerly known as Twitter Givassi has scored his 10th Bundesliga goal this season matching the record after five Bundesliga match days only previously achieved by Robert Lewandowski in the 2020-21 season and for those of you with short memories that was the season where Robert Lewandowski broke Gerd Muller's record by scoring 41 so it's safe to say Girassi has started off the season quite well and of course he got that assist earlier on in this game as well so really he's had an 11 goal contribution start to the season he has been the best striker in the Bundesliga to start off the season and I know the season's young and I know that Harry Kane is probably going to score a million billion goals before match day 34 has finished but we have to give a lot of credit to Gerasi because nobody expected this. He only scored 11 goals last season full stop and he's already on 10 goals for this season after five games. So absolutely sensational. I did check after talking about it last week, but other teams could have come in and bought him before Stuttgart, you know, made their sort of bid to get him on a permanent basis. And nobody did. Nobody challenged Stuttgart for his signature. And there are going to be a lot of teams who are really regretting that right now. There are a lot of teams who, you know, could have afforded Gavassi in the Bundesliga alone. And really have been struggling with a lack of striker so far this season. Who are probably looking at Gavassi and going, God, 
we could have had him we could have had him and we decided he wasn't good enough i mean i doubted him as well and i'm now a very firm member of the sergio garassi fan club so yeah garassi and stuttgart making a great start to the season 12 points from five games now for sebastian hernes and company i'm a tad bit worried about what happens when garassi comes back down to earth because obviously he's not going to keep up this level of production for the rest of the season but they are playing really exciting, entertaining football. They have been arguably the best side to watch in all of German football this year behind Bayer Leverkusen. So they do deserve a lot of credit. For Darmstadt, meanwhile, it's still no win for them from their five games this year. And they're still only on one point. And this doesn't seem to be going down too well with Torsten Liebenecht, who had some very something comments after this game i was going to say interesting at first but interesting doesn't seem i mean they are interesting just not for the right reasons he said quote for 25 years the same people have been coming to the club then guests come along then we look how do they behave what are they wearing then you have the bartender who sits in the basement in cone and says pass come on the new guests aren't quite as we imagine them to be torsten mate what are you talking about like, I think it's a dig at VAR because he talks about the bartender who sits in the basement in Köln. But, what? That doesn't that doesn't mean anything. And if he is trying to claim, as I think he is trying to claim, that Darmstadt have been disadvantaged in any way in their opening Bundesliga games and that the refs have been harsh on them, well... The red card in last week's game against Borussia Mönchengladbach, that was. But apart from that, I don't think they can really have any complaints about the officiating that they've received so far this year. They lost in this game against Stuttgart because they were easily the second best side. Stuttgart played far better than them across the entire game. Their only goal of the game came through an own goal. So, I don't really see any argument for Darmstadt or their fans claiming that, oh, well, we would have won that game if it was officiated properly, but they wouldn't have. So, I don't know what Liebenecht is going on about. The problems with Darmstadt are in his own team, not with the officials. Anyway, let's go from the basement bar of Köln to the Champagne Lounge of Bavaria or whatever. Bayern Munich 7, Bochum 0. This is the third year in a row that Bayern have played a game against Bochum and won 7-0. So, you know, Bochum must be really looking forward to their next game against Bayern Munich. I mean, they did win that game 4-2 two years ago, which was the pilot of, or was on the pilot of the Going Deutsch podcast. But apart from that, they've not exactly done well against Bayern. And this game was bad from the beginning, four minutes on the clock when Eric Matzin Chupamoting would give Bayern the lead. Harry Kane would then be unmarked in the box for the tapping to make it 2-0. And I know Harry Kane's new to the Bundesliga. I know he's only had five Bundesliga games. But still, you should probably know by this point that he's a really good attacker. And that it's preferable to attempt to mark him when he's inside the box. Anyway, De Ligt would then score the third. Obviously, he was moaning in midweek due to lack of minutes, but he was celebrating in this game when he headed in a corner. 
Harry Kane was then a strong part of the fourth goal when he played an amazing pass from inside his own half on the ground to Leroy Sane, one of the better assists of the week. So at half-time it was 4-0 to Bayern and they kept up their pace in the second half as well. They were given a penalty in the 54th minute for handball, which Harry Kane would convert for his second of the game. He would then play in Matisse Tal to make it 6-0 before getting a hat-trick for himself in the 88th minute to make it 7-0. And apparently this is his first hat-trick in league football for about six years, which if true is quite the surprise, but... What a fantastic performance from Harry Kane and what a great performance from Bayern Munich in total. Harry Kane's start to his life in Bavaria is not just fantastic, it is record-breaking as well. He's been directly involved in 10 goals in his first five Bundesliga appearances, which is a record, according to Optifrans, since detailed data collection started in 2004-05. He takes the record off Erling Haaland for Borussia Dortmund, of course, who was involved in eight goals in his first five Bundesliga appearances. I will say in Haaland's defence that his first Bundesliga appearance was off the bench. If you remember, he came on in like the 55th minute or something like that. Was it against Augsburg? I think it was against Augsburg. But, yeah, I think it's safe to say that Harry Kane has made a really good start to life in Bavaria. He is the first Bayern player in the club's history to score six or more goals in his first five Bundesliga games. Think of all of the amazing strikers who have played for Bayern Munich, and he holds this record. Not only does he hold the record, he absolutely smashed the record as well. So, just incredible from Harry Kane, and I can't wait to watch even more of him in a Bayern Munich shirt. Speaking after the game, Thomas Muller was talking about their opponents who they slayed so convincingly, and he said, quote, Bochum have been a very uncomfortable team to play against in their game so far. You can ask Borussia Dortmund. Oh, snap! Do you think Dortmund needs some cream for that burn? Jesus Christ, Thomas, who <laughs> he woke up and chose violence, apparently. But yeah, obviously, you cannot debate this game any further. Bayern Munich were absolutely sensational. Bochum were very Bochum against Bayern Munich. Third year in a row, I can't get over that. Losing one game 7-0 is depressing enough, but having a 7-0 defeat every single year against the same opponent as well is just truly depressing. If I were Bochum, I'd just forfeit next time. Just don't even bother playing them. You know, just forfeit. Take the 3-0 loss up front. It's far better than having to sit through something like this. Bayern, as a result of that game, have gone back to the top of the Bundesliga. But that's not because the side in first place slipped up. That's just because Bayern, you know, scored seven and it really helps with goal difference. But still, Bayer Leverkusen did play well, even though they have lost first place. They won 4-1 at home to Heidenheim. They opened the scoring in the ninth minute. Victor Boniface holding up the ball while before turning his defender and slotting into the bottom corner. 
Leverkusen dominated the rest of the first half but weren't able to capitalise on any of their chances and it looked like that was a mistake they were going to pay for when Heidenheim equalised in the 58th minute Evan Dinchy with a neat finish. He, by the way, hadn't scored in his last 49 Werder Bremen games of the Bundesliga. He's obviously joined Heidenheim this summer on loan and he has now scored four in five, including, of course, those two goals last week against Werder Bremen. So he's made an exceptional start to life at Heidenheim and it shows that sometimes the problem isn't the player's talent, it's the system that they are in. And Frank Schmidt has him in a role that just suits him way more and he's getting results because of that. Heidenheim were level at that point, but that would only last for five minutes because Leverkusen would take the lead and then sail off into the distance after that. Jonas Hoffman would tap in after a great pass from Ezekiel Palacios. Then Bayer Leverkusen would get a penalty in the 74th minute that was converted by Victor Boniface for his second of game. By the way, Boniface has scored six goals through his opening five games in the Bundesliga. He was never a prolific striker for either Bodo Glimt or for Union Saint-Gilois, but since coming to Bayer Leverkusen under the tutelage of Chabi Alonso, he has been a goal-scoring machine. He looks like a serious threat every time he is on the ball and has just been absolutely sensational. He looks like he could easily bag 20 goals plus this season and every season that he plays for by Leverkusen and Chabi Alonso. Amin Adley would round off the scoring in the 82nd minute with a fantastic chip. That would be all she wrote by Leverkusen once again. You know, I'm running out of superlatives for them, but I said earlier Stuttgart have been the second best side to watch in Germany so far this season behind by Leverkusen. They have just been an absolute joy to watch in every single game and Heidenheim, well bless their hearts but they didn't really stand a chance against this Bayer Leverkusen side and they're still title contenders of course, we've only played five games, they've not really put a foot wrong in any game, the only points they have dropped so far were against Bayern Munich and of course Bayern also dropped points in that game because it was a draw. So, yeah, absolutely sensational for Bayer Leverkusen. They continue to be fantastic, and I could do a two-hour podcast on Victor Boniface because he has been sensational. For Heidenheim, they were never going to win this game, and I think they knew it. Now to go from the team who I find most interesting in German football at the moment to the team that I find most depressing in German football right now. Union Berlin nil, Hoffenheim 2. It's now three straight league defeats for Union and of course four if you add in the Champions League. Hoffenheim open for scoring of the 22nd minute from the penalty spot. Leonardo Bonucci, of course, the new Union Berlin signing from Juventus. The experienced legend of the game just pulling down Kramaric in the box. Why did he do that? No one knows. It was really blatant, really obvious. The penalty was scored by Kramaric as well. In the 38th minute, Hoffenheim would get the second and final goal of the game, Maxi Bayer, scoring in his fourth straight league game. And you can almost hear the fans in Germany thinking about if... 
they're going to have a star strike for the future for the national team, praising him as the next Gerd Muller. We've found one, guys! We've found one! At last, we have a striker! Again, I would probably be a bit cautious about saying that. So, Hoffenheim have made a good start to the season. 12 points through their opening five games. There's nothing to complain about when it comes to how Pellegrino Matarazzo is managing the side this year. Of course, it's still weird to think that he was once one game away from the sack. And he's turned it around really well for Hoffenheim. For Union Berlin, though... Again, they just lacked any and all creativity going forward. They they were terrible through this entire game. They didn't really generate any good chances at all. And the guys who came on for them, Bar Fafana, didn't really help either. They, they also brought on Hollerback, Lydouni, Kaufman and Rusilon in an attempt to provide a spark and none of them were able to. As well as that, I feel like most managers now, or at least the managers we've seen in the last three games, sort of figured out how to deal with Union, which is sort of to take the lead early and then sit back and refuse to allow them those counter-attacking chances that they were so deadly in taking over the last few seasons. Matarazzo, he got his tactics spot on in this game. He knew what he wanted to force Union into trying to do, which was to try and play a more expansive open game, and Union just simply couldn't do it. So, Hoffenheim, they deserve a lot of credit for how they handled this game. Matarazzo deserves a lot of credit for how he handled this game. But for Runion, this is starting to get seriously concerning. It feels at the moment like the clock has struck midnight, the glass slipper no longer fits, and that the fairy tale is coming to an end. Obviously, it would be a bit too premature to say that is definitely the case. But Urs Fischer probably needs to change how he is getting this Union side to play if they want to stay at the top of the German game. Werder Bremen 2, Köln 1. I don't think many of us saw this game being as entertaining as it was in the end because this game seemed to have like the perfect pairing for a boring game. You had a Werder Bremen side who, yeah, try and play somewhat good football but they've been completely incapable of taking chances and you pair them with a cone side who are defensive in their approach and willing to sort of sit back and not play the most interesting brand of football and that sort of pairing seemed like it would be perfect if you want a truly boring game and that was the case in the opening half hours while this game was incredibly dull it was terrible but after that the game sparked into life and it did through the first goal Davy Salker scoring against his former club and he was happy to do so as well I would argue that Salker didn't have the best time of his career at Werder Bremen and he was happy to show the fans yeah actually I can score football goals once in a while 
Seven minutes later, though, Werder Bremen were level and it was Raphael Borba scoring his first goal for the club since coming on loan from Eintracht Frankfurt and his first goal in 19 games as well. So a great way to introduce himself to the Werder faithful. The second half was absolutely fantastic. Real back and forth, lots of chances for both sides, but only one would be taken and it would be for Werder Bremen, Justin Jimmer scoring 80 seconds after coming on with his second touch of the game. Apparently it's Jimmer, by the way. The last time he scored, I called him Njima, but apparently it's just Jimmer. He is looking like a real star in the making. I'm very excited to see how Jimmer does for Werder Bremen because every time he's come on in the last few games, he has immediately looked like one of the best players on the pitch. Obviously, the best example of this for the game against Mainz, he came on late on and had a goal and an assist. And then he, he did look good in the few minutes he played against Heidenheim and then in this game as well. Arguably the best player on the pitch when he came on. So he is definitely looking like a player who can play in the Bundesliga and play really well at this level as well. So yeah, hopefully we get to see a lot more of him over the next few weeks. Because I'll be honest, I, I thought he was going to start this game. And I was surprised when he didn't, but as soon as he came on, he was just absolutely fantastic. The same cannot be said for Nick Voltamado, who also came on. I'm still, I still want to keep the faith. I believe in him. I'm sure he can do fantastically at this level. It is going to take time, though. One really good thing for Werder Bremen, apart from Justin Jimmer just being fantastic, is the fact that Naby Keita came on for his first game for Werder Bremen since joining from Liverpool this summer, of course. He is a person we're very familiar with. If Well, if you watch World Football, obviously, because he played for Liverpool, but also before that, he did play for Leipzig in the Bundesliga for quite a while. And he did have an injury setback in pre-season, which is not surprising because he is one of the more injury-prone players in European football at the moment. But he showed in the few minutes he played that... If he can remain healthy, then he will be a really good contributor to this Werder Bremen side. So hopefully for him, he gets to stay healthy and have a productive season for Werder Bremen. If he can play as well as he can and Justin Jimmer plays as well as he did in this game and the likes of Olivier Deman play as well as he did in this game and also a player we've not mentioned yet on this podcast, I don't think, Sene Linen who joined this summer from Union Saint-Gilois. He looks fantastic as well. He played the majority of this game and he was instrumental in the goal for Justin Jimmer as well. If all of them can play at the level that we know they can play at, Werder Bremen will be absolutely fine in the Bundesliga this year. They've got six points from their opening five games. They're in 11th place, so they can be optimistic for Köln. One point from five games It's not been a good start for Stefan Baumgart and company. Augsburg 2, Mainz 1, not the highest quality game of the weekend. I think it's more than safe to say scrappy would be the key word to describe this matchup. That was true of the first goal in the sixth minute. Coming from Ludovic Jork, he got his first league goal this season, really capitalising on bad Augsburg defending. Augsburg had a normal back three for them, Stefan Ball. Dominic Kerr and Edimilson Fernandez. And I think all three of them lost their man 
in the build-up to this goal. So, not the most inspiring football we've seen from any side this season so far. And to be honest, mine should have had a second a few minutes later when a ball came into the box and Finn Darman, the Augsburg keeper, who, who did play fairly well in this game, but not in this case. He fell over onto his bum and he just could not get back up. A joke had a chance. It was rolling across the face of the goal. All it needed was a foot. Darman could not get anywhere near the ball. He was just sat down trying to reach for it. And then it didn't go in and was eventually cleared. But really, mine should have made it 2-0 then. And if they do, it might have been game over at that point. But instead... Augsburg equalised mere minutes after that. One of the scrappiest goals you'll see this season. It's really worth watching, just in case you want to see what football is not meant to be. But Demirovic would score that. I mean, it was absolutely ludicrous, so go and have a look at it. He would then be wide open in the middle of the box at the end of the first half to head in a second to make it 2-1. And to be honest, the game in the second half sort of stopped being scrappy and like almost slapstick but the game replaced that with just really boring football so that's not particularly ideal in the 60th minute Augsburg would be down to 10 men a red card shown to Arnie Engels it was the correct call the referee originally gave a yellow card but VAR told him to look at the monitor and VAR was correct in telling him to do so because it was a red card. Studs showing dangerous straight into the leg. Red card every day of the week. The game wasn't better after that to be honest. Mine should have really picked up the tempo and have more chances. They did but they weren't high quality chances. It wasn't like they were dominating and like the goal was coming any second now. It was just bad sorts of attacks that didn't really go anywhere and didn't look like they were going to go anywhere until the last chance of the game when Fernandez had a great shot but Ludovic Ajork blocked it so Ajork doing some absolutely fantastic defending for Augsburg and we would be praising him if he was an Augsburg defender but unfortunately he's a Mainz attacker so it wasn't particularly great so yeah the whole game was a mix of slapstick football and boring football and it doesn't say a lot about either of these two sides. Augsburg now on five points from their opening five games. It's their first win of the season so they'll be feeling positive because of that but to be honest it does feel like they're one of many sides of the moment who is going to be involved in the battle of who can be the least worst and stay up. For Mines, they're still playing horribly. This isn't just a slump to start the season. This is them playing terrible football in every single game and deserving to lose. So I am I'm starting to get very worried about how they've been playing this year. And yes, they've had problems with injuries. And yes, they have been lacking key players in key positions in almost every game. But still, they need to be doing much better than this for sooner like Jonathan Burkhart and Hanscher Olsen can come back, the better, and Vidmer as well, obviously, was missing from this game too. But they need to be playing a lot better than this, or they have absolutely no chance of staying up in the Bundesliga this season. Borussia Dortmund won Wolfsburg nil. the only goal of this game, coming in the second half from Marco Royce. 
And I think for the first time this season, we can say that Dortmund were actually the better side in a game and did deserve to win. Now, that's not overly positive because I would say that before their goal, they were still uninspiring for most of the game. They still struggled to create really good chances and I, I didn't think that they were going to score... Nicholas Fulkrug had a decent game starting up front. Marco Voice obviously scored the winner. Julian Brandt and James Brano Gittens were, I guess, okay. But they weren't exceptional and they weren't as good as we would expect them to be anyway. They were helped out after they scored by the fact that when Wolfsburg did go forward, it looked like they had absolutely no semblance or understanding of how to play football. I gave a lot of credit to Jonas Vind at the start of the season. He might as well have not bothered in this game. The other players who were in attacking positions, Thiago Tomas was absolutely terrible, as was Vaclav Cerny. I still don't know how to say his name, to be honest. And Lovro Mayer was okay, but you'd still expect him to do better, especially with the amount of money they paid to get him this summer. But... This was a really, truly bad performance from Wolfsburg and a middling performance from Borussia Dortmund. So I still want to see far, far more from them. And they should be capable of far, far more as well. But a win's a win. They were the better side, so I will give them credit for that. Wolfsburg, nine points from five games. They need to play a lot better than they did in this game. I know you're going away to the Westfalen Stadion, and that's a tough environment, and Borussia Dortmund are normally a tough side, but still, Niko Kovac and his team should really be targeting Europe this year, and they're just they're not what I expect to see yet. I expect to see them, while playing a lot more like Stuttgart have been playing to start the season, and to be honest, if you'd said before the season kicked off, that Wolfsburg should be playing like Stuttgart are playing, then people would have assumed that you'd lost the plot. But that's the world we're living in at the moment. It is a bit topsy-turvy. One more thing to mention before we move on. Nicholas Fulkrug obviously played in this game and there was a picture taken of him as he was rolling down his socks. And it showed his shin pads, which were Verde Bremen coloured. They had the Verde logo on, they were green. And that was absolutely fantastic to see. They must be a lucky charm or something for him. We know how superstitious players can be, but it does prove the old maxim to be true. You can take the player out of Bremen, but you can't take the Bremen out of the player. Borussia Mönchengladbach nil, Leipzig 1. Obviously, Max Abel and Marco Rose returning to a club that they were so heavily associated with before in Borussia Mönchengladbach. And the fans were thrilled to see them, particularly Max Abel. There's a big banner against him that said, quote, First I'll get a sick note, then I'll keep counting the banknotes. So, yeah, really... Really happy to see him. Timo Werner would get the only goal of the game. His first goal of the season in his first good performance as well, though. Leipzig were very, very uninspiring. Borussia Mönchengladbach were probably the better side through, through this entire match, which doesn't say much. Like I said, Leipzig were terrible, but it is progress for a side who haven't exactly lit up the league so far this season. I think the biggest problem for them was that Thomas Savanchava 
didn't play in this game. He's currently out with injury. And to be honest, the front line that Gerardo Serrano went with, which was Jordan and Frank Honorat, just weren't clinical enough in his place. If they had been clinical, if they had been able to take some of their chances, then they would have won. I was a bit concerned as well with Joe Scally, who's not made a good start to the season. I would have expected more from him. He was playing at like right wing back and was responsible for trying to generate some of them chances. And oh boy, did he not. But yeah, this at least represents progress for Gladbach. They've still not won a game this season. Two points from their opening five games. But if they can play up to their potential, then... Well, I hate to tell you, Gladbach fans, you'll still probably only be mid-table, but still, that's better than how you've started the season. Final game, then, from the Bundesliga this weekend. Frankfurt, nil. Freiburg, nil. Terrible, terrible game. I only have two real points from this game. Eric Abimbe was given a yellow card at the end of the first half for the not-great challenge. The VAR ref asked the ref on the pitch to go and look at the monitor, but the referee correctly stuck with his decision. It was the correct call for him to do so, but the reason I point it out is because the VAR referee was Sasha Stegeman, who you might remember last year got into a spot of bother when he didn't give a red card for a bad challenge in the Bochum Dortmund game and then wasn't referred to the monitor by VAR to correct his decision. So maybe he was playing it safe in referring the referee to the monitor and to be honest, I don't blame him for doing so. So fair enough to Sasha Stegeman. In the second half, Robin Cock probably should have got sent off for what I would say was a deliberate attempt to hit Junior Damu. He, he tried to make it look like it was on accident by, you know, having it look like he was just swinging his arms like that in the first place, but I think it was on purpose. What was worse than the hit, though, from Cock on Adamu was Kevin Trapp, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, running over and absolutely shouting and screaming at Adamu and going, yeah, get up, you tea, even though he had just been hit. I mean, Kevin, grow up. That was genuinely just so stupid and childish from him i expect way more from him to be honest if it was me it would have been a red card for that as well because players should not be shouting at players who have been hurt come on this is stupid if i was maxi edgerstein as well who for some reason got a yellow card for shoving trap he had every right to do so i would have properly punched him for for being so disrespectful to a fellow professional. Anyway, that's the Bundesliga this week. Let's have a look at the Bundesliga table. After five games, Bayern Munich lead the league on 13 points. Their seven goals against Bochum were enough to take them over second place by Leverkusen on goal difference. Stuttgart are in third on 12 points, then a couple of plastics in fourth and fifth. Then Borussia Dortmund in sixth on 11 points. At the wrong end of the table, Mines are bottom one point from their opening five games. Darmstadt and Köln also on one point in the relegation places. Then Borussia Mönchengladbach have two in 15th. Bochum have three in 14th. And then Heidenheim have four in 13th. Player of the week in the Bundesliga. I'm going to... You know what? I'm going to give it as a co-award this week because... I think Seo Garassi won the game for Stuttgart over Darmstadt because obviously he was involved in all three of their goals and 
Therefore, if he's not on the pitch, Stuttgart probably don't win. So, he was absolutely sensational. His start to the season has been sensational. But also, whilst Harry Kane didn't single-handedly win the game for Bayern against Spokem, I think his performance was just absolutely sensational, second to none. So, I don't want to do this every week, but I'm going to do it this week. I'm going to give the award to both Sergio Gavassi and Harry Kane. Okay, it's time to move on, and this weekend it was announced that Usher will be doing the Super Bowl halftime show, and you might remember in one of his songs, he sung, There's always that one league that will always have your heart, and of course he was referring to the Spider Bundesliga, so let's review the Spider Bundesliga just for him. Anyway, before we actually go into the games, Defaultion 9 published a interesting graphic to their Instagram page about the top 11 leagues for average attendance last weekend, and the Premier League came first with 42,000 fans on average, which is why it's so surprising that none of their stadiums can generate any atmosphere whatsoever. Second was the Bundesliga on 35,775, with the top game obviously being Bayern Munich against Bayer Leverkusen, which drew in 75,000 fans. But the third place league, the third highest league in Europe for average attendance was the Spiter Bundesliga, with an average attendance of 33,018, with the highest attended match being Schalke against Magdeburg, drawing in 61,755 fans, which is absolutely ludicrous. The Spiter Bundesliga had a higher average attendance than La Liga, Serie A and Ligue 1, and the Eredivisie as well, and every other league. Now that I, I think about it, the Primera Liga in Portugal, the Belgian Pro League, all of them could not top or even come close to the Spider Bundesliga. Only La Liga was within 1,000 on average, and that is truly mental. But it shows, well, quite a few things actually. Not only the number of big teams in the Spider Bundesliga, because obviously we've got Schalke in there, you've got Hertha in there. You've got Hamburg in there, you've got HSV in there, St. Pauli, loads of big clubs, Nuremberg, Hanover. But also, it shows how dedicated the fans are, because even when they get relegated, they still show up in big numbers. I mean, the championship was on 19,518, there are a lot of big clubs in the championship too. And yet, the attendance is just nowhere near the average attendance in the Spider Bundesliga. So it shows just how great a league we've got, how passionate the fans are, how big the sides are. It, it shows just how amazing the Spider Bundesliga is. For my money, it is the best league in the world. And as can be seen, it's one of the most attended as well. So let's get into the games then from this weekend. And there were more entertaining games than the game that I'm going to put top of the running order. But I think it's the one that leads to the most conversation. It's the one that I want to talk about the most, and that's Osnabrück 2, HSV 1. HSV losing their second game in a row to a newly promoted side, and this is a game that's going to make many people ask a lot of questions about HSV. They did start off the game well. They took the lead in the 12th minute through Robert Glatzel, but just four minutes later, Osnabrück were level Eric Engelhart scoring from a narrow angle close to goal. 
maybe Daniel Hoy Fernandez does have to do more with that. It's very rare that I actually criticise Daniel Hoy Fernandez because I do think he's one of the best keepers in the league. But in this case, he probably should have done more. In the 39th minute, Osnabrück would score the final goal of the game. The HSV defence just turned into statues as Omar Diakite would eventually put it in the back of the net. Diakite, obviously a new signing this year. He joined from Sandhausen on a free transfer. Um, this was his debut and what a way to introduce yourself to your new fans. The weird thing about this game is that HSV didn't really have many chances after that. Osnabrück were the better side through this game and they clearly deserved to win. And it's their first win in the Svita Bundesliga this season. They have not been a good side through the beginning of this season. And last week I was almost ready to write their eulogy. And then they pull out a win against HSV where they were the better side. So, who does this say more about? Does it say more about Osnabrück, uh, the fact that they could actually try and survive this year, or does it say more about HSV? While Osnabrück are obviously going to be very happy with how this game went and excited about the result, and may have every right to be as well, because this has not been a, a good start to the season, I think it's safe to say, for Osnabrück, and this their first win against such a good side as well. One of the favourites, if not the favourite, for the Svita Bundesliga. They have every right to focus on the positives. For HSV, this is a worrying sort of trend that is starting to form. Because obviously, when they lost last week to Alversberg, well... They had a rough start to the game and maybe their mentality was affected through the rest of the match. That's understandable, but with this game as well, maybe we need to reassess how we view their start to the season. Because before this, before the loss to Alversberg and Osnabrück, I think it's safe to say that Hamburger were the best side in the Svita Bundesliga. And it looked like they had finally figured it out and that... This was finally going to be their year where they sort of strolled back into the Bundesliga. However, I think these last two games paint a different picture, which is that as a team, as a whole, they're not that good. But in small circumstances, their individual players are able to save them because they have a lot of players who, quite frankly, should not be playing in the Svita Bundesliga, they're far too good. Whether that be Robert Glatzel, Ludovic Rice, Daniel Hoyer-Fernandez, there are quite a few of their players who are just far above this level and could get into quite a few Bundesliga sides. And those players have been able to save the rest of the squad. But the team as a whole, and particularly the management of Tim Volter, is not doing anything to help. And I've seen a lot of HSV fans this weekend saying that Volta is being essentially carried by those key players and that's not a particularly harsh criticism to have of him. He does have the best squad in the league on paper. I don't think any side really come close in terms of overall talent but he has to manage them as a team if he wants to get HSV back into the Bundesliga. If he's not able to do that, then these results will become more and more common for Hamburger this season. 
So HSV are not feeling positive at the moment. Another side who are not feeling positive are Schalke. They lost 3-1 this weekend on the Saturday night football against St. Pauli. And as a St. Pauli fan, this game got off to a very frustrating start because St. Pauli pretty much dominated the opening 20 minutes. They were having all of the chances. Schalke barely got into the St. Pauli half. They didn't have a good shot. But St. Pauli were just wasting every opportunity that they had. And we've been here before as St. Pauli fans. We've been here many times where St. Pauli just dominate, but they cannot capitalise on any chances they're getting. And then the opponents score a fluky goal. But that didn't happen this time because in the 20th minute, St. Pauli would be given a penalty for handball against Lino Templeman. And as a St. Pauli fan, I can say it was harsh i don't think i would have given it because he's sliding to the ground and his arms aren't really in an unnatural position so yeah i disagreed but either way marcel hartel would step up to score the penalty schalke were immediately better after the penalty they went very close within 10 seconds of the kickoff and within eight minutes of St. Pauli taking the lead, they would be level Sebastian Polter getting onto the end of a Thomas Norwegian ground cross. So one all of the halftime break, but to be honest, that small stretch of Schalke dominance was the only part of the first half where they were the better side. St. Pauli were the better side for the rest of the half and they should have been comfortably leading at the half-time break. Luckily, both of the goals in the second half would be for the boys in brown. Marcel Hartel would get his second of the game in the 57th minute. A good finish from just outside the box, deflecting in off the post. And then St. Pauli would add one more in the 92nd minute. Carlo Bacalfa. Yes, really. Carlo Bacalfa scored. It's very rare to see him score an actual football goal, but he did it in this game. Though, to be honest, it's a bit kind to credit goal to him because whilst his shot was on target, it did take quite the strong deflection off a Schalke defender who I can't remember the name of because I didn't write his name down. But to be honest, I'm sure he's not that forced that his mistake in this situation is being forgotten. So 3-1 at full time. St. Pauli dominated pretty much all the game. There were only two periods through the entire match where I would say Schalke were the better side, which was following the first goal for St. Pauli and then a small stretch in the second half. But yeah, this was a convincing win for the boys in Brown. They could be very happy with their performance and they are up to second in the Spider Bundesliga at the moment. For Schalke, I don't think there's anything you can really say about this game that is positive, nor can you really say anything about this season that is positive so far. And the tension about how this side are playing and how they feel about their current league position clearly spilled over on Saturday night when Timo Baumgartel would give an interview to Sky Germany speaking after the game. And his comments were fascinating, to be honest. In a world where we have more and more media managers who are 
trying to make sure that players say the right things at the right time. It, it's just so weird to see a player be this candid and this open and this sort of honest about the problems that he sees at the club. So speaking about why the team played like they did and why they lost, he said, quote, that's the coach's philosophy. He tells us that. That's why we do it as a team. But it's clear if you watch the first 20 or 30 minutes that it's brutally difficult when an opponent does it well. If you're behind one-on-one, -on -one, that's obviously risky. It's going to be so difficult for us against strong teams like Magdeburg or St. Pauli. Then we can't complain if it's 3-0 after 30 minutes. When he was asked by the interviewer to what extent the team would still support Thomas Rice, he said, quote, Those are always questions. He gives us a plan, but of course it's a bit difficult for us to see it that way, to do it that way, because of course we always run into these situations. We're constantly exchanging ideas, trying to adjust things, but it always comes back to the same thing in the first 30 minutes. You can't always catch up with two or three goals. Sometimes you have to keep a clean sheet and stay compact. 15 goals conceded in 7 games. That's brutal. It can't go on like this. So quite strong and quite candid words from Timo Baumgartel and Schalke responded quite strongly to them as well, fining him and saying that he's going to be training with the under-23s this week. For what it's worth, Timo Baumgartel did come out and apologise for the comments he made, but a lot of people in Germany in response to this, have actually been agreeing with his original comments and saying that it was wrong for Schalke to punish him. As he pointed out, 15 goals conceded is simply unacceptable after seven games if you are a side who wants to get promoted. Only one side have conceded more so far this season than Schalke, and that is Osnabrück, who are in last place. So that's absolutely fair to point out. And it's also fair to point out that tactically Schalke just don't seem to be in the right place. Because despite the fact that they have a lot of talented players, they're just not getting it done. And ultimately that does come down to the manager. If it was me, I would be calling for Thomas Rice to be sacked. He has just not started well enough and I don't see it changing at the moment. Sports director Andre Heyshulman has said that his comments about Rice's position remain the same after this game, but he sort of refused to make any firm commitments about his future. And if the, well, clear signs that he has lost at least parts of the dressing room are true, then he won't have very long left because here's the thing. The clock is ticking on Schalke. I feel like if they aren't able to bounce back this year, which at the moment is looking unlikely, bounce back to the Bundesliga, then they will be trapped in this league for a long time, just like HSV have been. I mean, to be honest, it could be even worse because the way they're playing right now, would you actually be surprised if they were relegated to the Dritter Liga? That's how bad they've been. They are not in the relegation places because of bad luck they are in the relegation places on merit and if something doesn't change fast it's going to be a very long season for Schalke their fans and Timo Baumgartel
It's now time to go into the two bonkers games from this weekend. Starting off with Greuterfirth 4, Karlsruhe 3. It was Greuterfirth's birthday on Saturday. They were 120 years old. The club were founded in 1903. And it was at this point that I was going to sing Happy Birthday in German for them. But when I looked up what the Happy Birthday song is in German... It turns out it's just the English version. There is a German version, but it is more, apparently, more common for people in Germany just to sing, you know, in English, happy birthday to you and all that. But yeah, happy birthday to Greuter Firth. They wore a special kit for the occasion to celebrate. It was absolutely lovely. I'd recommend going and looking at it. It was a... Primarily white kit with a green stripe down the middle and then the green stripe had pictures of former Greuterfirth squads inside it. So it was very nice. It was a really good effort all round. And it was a good effort from Greuterfirth in this game as well. They opened the scoring in the fifth minute. And the way they opened the scoring was by having everyone fall over. Julian Green fell over whilst taking the corner. One of the Greuterfirth attackers fell over in the middle of the box. But that meant that the ball was able to find the foot of Tim Lempler. Who was able to hit it at an awkward height into the top corner. Really good technical finish from him. Unfortunately, just two minutes later, Karlsruhe would be level. Unfortunately, unless, of course, you're a Karlsruhe fan, and it probably isn't. Robin Bormuth just beating the offside trap to volley in a free kick. However, just six minutes after that, Greuterfirth would be back in the lead through Dixon Abiyama. However, just 12 minutes after that, in the 25th minute, it would be to all Marvin Vanitzek getting goals in back-to-back -back games. Lars Stindl thought he had given Karlsruhe the lead entering the half when he made it 3-2 in the fourth minute of first half at a time, tapping in a Sebastian Young cross. But in the sixth minute of first half at a time, Firth would get the equaliser immediately after the kickoff, essentially a long ball from that kickoff. Quick passing left Dixon Abiyama wide open in the box and he was able to tap past the keeper. So three all at the half-time break, six colds in the opening 45 minutes, your average fighter Bundesliga game. In the second half, the first big talking point would come in the 56th minute. Julian Green was sent off for a second bookable offence. It seemed like a fair decision. And you would think that that would give Karlsruhe the emphasis and the added momentum that they would need to go on to win the game. But when the seventh and final goal did come in the 64th minute, it was for Greuter Firth. Damian Michalski scoring and that would be enough for Greuter Firth to win this fantastic game on their birthday. They couldn't have had a better present if they tried. Obviously, Karlsruhe had more of the ball after Greuter Firth went down to 10 men. Firth were happy to play defensively once they went 4-3 up and Karlsruhe weren't able to really generate any Great, meaningful chances to try and counter that fourth goal. So, Greuterfirth did deserve to win the game, and as a result of a move up the table into 13th on 8 points. Karlsruhe also on 8 points. We probably would have expected a better start to the season from Christian Eichner and company, but especially on their birthday, this game was all about Greuterfirth and their fantastic birthday present in this dramatic win.
So that game on Saturday afternoon was quite mental and then it was followed up by another mental game on Sunday. Holstein Kiel 2, Hare to Berlin 3. Uh, many people saw this as a clear Holstein Kiel win. Obviously, Kiel had the chance to go top of the Spider Bundesliga if they won this game. Hertha Berlin were in the relegation places entering this game, so of course Hertha won. They shocked everyone in the first half by going 2-0 up at the half-time breaks. Mel Prevljak getting the first goal, getting a assist from former Holstein Kiel player Fabian Reza in the build-up as well. Then Andreas Balshalakis would make it 2-0 in the 39th minute with his first goal for the club since joining from Olympiakos this summer. Kiel really had no moment in that first half where they were the best side. Hertha Berlin really did deserve their 2-0 lead at the half-time break. But in the space of three second-half minutes, Holstein Kiel would pull the game back. Their first goal... Coming in the 54th minute, Benedict Pischler heading in a corner. And then they would get a penalty when Pischler himself was brought down in the box by Tony Leinsner. Steven Skribski scoring that penalty made it to all. And at that point you thought, well, great, great for Holstein Kiel. They've pulled this game back. They've shown the quality that we expect to see from them at least this season. Because they have been fantastic before this game. So clearly they're going to go on now and win the match. And I don't know if it was complacency or the fact that they only really had a three minute run through the entire game but they weren't able to. Two all heading into the final minutes of the game and that's when the madness meter sort of went from a zero to a 15 because Hertha Berlin would be given a penalty entering added time. I am conflicted about this penalty because there is undoubtedly contact from Colin Kleiner-Bekal on Havis Tabakovic that would sort of imply that a penalty was the correct decision, but Havis Tabakovic then just does this weird dive to try and get the penalty, and it leaves me in this weird position of thinking, well, yeah, the foul deserves a penalty, but the dive almost deserves a punishment of its own. If a player deserves a penalty for the foul that they have against them but then dive should they also receive a yellow card for simulation or i don't know how that would work really but like it felt like both of them were in the wrong it feels like something that if it happened in the nfl you'd have offsetting penalties or something but yeah i was i was annoyed that tabakovic felt the need to dive so dramatically considering that if he had just gone to ground normally then it would have been a clear 100 percent penalty so I still kind of agree with the referee because the ref's not there to decide whether Tabakovic goes to ground the wrong way. He's there to decide whether the foul from Kleiner Bacal deserves a penalty. And and it did, in all fairness. Harris Tabakovic would step up, but then he would miss his penalty. It was saved by the keeper, Timon Weiner. And that almost felt like karma because he should not have dived as egregiously as he did. Like I said, still a penalty, but also a dive. But it can be both at the same time, probably. Anyway, that save went out for a corner which Herta sent into the box. And this time there was a clear penalty with no dive. Jan Fita Arp fouling Ben Stardai in the box. There can be no complaints about this one. And the man who would step up to take the penalty for Hertha Berlin 
would-be Fabian Reza, the former Holstein Kiel man, the man who was so sensational for them for so many years, and he would score against his former club in the 92nd minute. It's fair to say his celebration was muted, but, like, it was still there. Like, it feels like if he'd scored a 92nd minute penalty to win a game against any other club, he would have been celebrating a lot more than he did. He did still celebrate, but it, it was muted out of... I guess, respect for Holstein Kiel. The game didn't stop there, though, because there was a very large period of added time, I think it was about 11 minutes in the end, where a lot more would happen. Marvin Schultz would be given a red card for Holstein Kiel. Ben Stardai fouled him, and he was given a free kick, but he took the rather insane decision to push him afterwards whilst on a yellow card, so it was more than deserving of a red card in the end for Marvin Schultz. And then after that, right at the end of the game, Holstein Kiel had a corner. The goalkeeper went up for it, and Hertz Berlin were able to break away on the counter. And Derry Sherhant had the easiest open goal tapping to make it 4 2 to seal the game. And he managed to miss it so far wide that I'm stunned that he even. if I don't know if he knew where the goal was, to be perfectly honest, because it was. It was at least four metres wide of the... In fact, probably five metres wide of the right-hand side of the goal. So, yeah, I don't know what happened there. But in all fairness, it doesn't matter because Hertha Berlin would win this game 3-2. And they were easily the better side. They did deserve the victory. Outside of those three minutes where Holstein Kiel got their two goals, they had nothing in this game. It was a shocking performance from a side who have been so good this season. Obviously, it might actually be the case that Hertha Berlin are really good. They're into the top half of the league table now. After Paul Dardai was in a situation where I said he had to win the next game or be sacked, he's won three of the next four. So, absolutely fair enough to him. This Hertha side are playing a lot better. The changes to the squad that have been made over the last few weeks for transfer window have worked the team team a lot more energised, a lot better suited to what Dardai wants to play, and they are reaping the rewards now. So do not rule out Hertha Berlin as they push up the Spider Bundesliga table. Eintracht Braunschweig 2, Nuremberg 2. The TIFO before the game from the Eintracht Braunschweig fans, absolutely sensational. Pretty much went the entire height of the stand, I would really recommend. Finding it on social media or wherever else you find TFOs. Is there a website for that? AmazingTFOs.com or something? I don't know. If it's not a website, then somebody needs to get out there and make that website as soon as possible. Anyway, Anthony Uger would head Eintracht Braunschweig into the lead. Nuremberg, though, would respond with two goals in the space of three minutes. First one coming from Kanji Okunuki, who has scored his first goal since coming over from a side in Japan who I'm going to get the name wrong of, but brace yourself, Amir Ardija. That's almost certainly not right. Anyway, after that, it was 2-1 when Tim Handwerker would play a ground cross into the box, which was tapped in by Benjamin Goller at the back post. Still, Anthony Uja was convinced that Eintracht Braunschweig weren't going to lose this game and he would get the only goal of the second half to rescue a point for his side, controlling the cross very well before hitting it across his body into the bottom corner. That doesn't do much for Eintracht Braunschweig, who are on just five points from seven games. They have no winning four now, which is the joint longest winless run in the Spider Bundesliga at the moment alongside Vehan. Meanwhile, for Nuremberg, 
They haven't won in three now as they sit in 10th in the table. They had nil Alversberg 2. Alversberg opened this game with a penalty. There was, this is similar to the Harris Tabakovic incident in the Hertha Kiel game. There was definitely contact between Lucas Schnaubacher and Martin Anger, but Schnaubacher's one dive sort of deserved an Oscar. His dive was faked, his injury was very real because he essentially just swan dived into the ground and funnily enough that's not a great idea he had to spend quite a while getting treatment about two or three minutes before he was able to come back on still it was worth it i guess in the end because tor jakobsen would score the penalty for alversberg to make it one nil in the second half they would score another through rahid fajia Alversberg were given a second penalty in second half at the time, but it was correctly overturned when the ref looked at VAR. Still, Alversberg were the better side in this game against Vahen. They did deserve the win, and it's their third win in a row now. They are shooting up the Spider-Man's League table up into the top half in eighth on ten points, just three points behind HSV in the promotion places. The Alversberg promotion push is on non-stop to the Bundesliga, I mean, it's inevitable, right? Back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back promotions is just going to happen. That is a guarantee. So, get ready to see Alversberg beating Bayern Munich 6-0 in the Bundesliga next season. We can all confirm that. As mentioned in the last review, Vahen are winless in their last four games, which is the joint longest run in the Spider Bundesliga at the moment. Kaiserslautern 3, Hansa Rostock 1, Tobias Raschel would open scoring for Kaiserslautern in the third minute with a long range finish into the bottom corner. Kevin Kraus would make it 2-0 when he headed in a corner. Within the half hour, Hansa Rostock though got one back, Junior Brumado scoring in the 29th minute. And whilst they did have their chances through the rest of the game, it was Kaiserslautern who were the best side and they did deserve their third goal, which came in the 83rd minute through Ragnar Acher. And he has made a great start to this season. He scored six goals so far in the Spider Bundesliga. He scored in each of his last five games. The only game he didn't score in this season was the game against Schalke, which Kaiserslautern lost 3-0. But he has been an exceptional signing for them. He only scored seven goals last season for Greuther Firth. And so to already be on six this season is absolutely exceptional. It shows he's a much better fit for this Kaiserslautern side than he was for Greuther Firth. So Kaiserslautern continue to play exceptionally well in the Spider Bundesliga this season. They lost both of their opening two games, but they are undefeated in the five games since, only dropping points in one of those games, about one or draw against Karlsruhe last week. So they're up to fourth in the table, just one point behind the league leaders. They could easily make a push for promotion, especially if they keep playing like this. Fortuna Dusseldorf won Hanover on. Cedric Toyshare would give Hanover the lead in the first half, but the controversy in this game would come in the second Christos Solis would get a penalty for Fortuna Dusseldorf with one of the most egregious dives I've seen in a while. It was absolutely obvious. You could see the defender's back leg was out, but he doesn't make contact with Zolis and he just one dives to the ground completely ridiculously. And yet, VAR told the ref to look at it and the ref gave a penalty as a result. I mean, 
I could rant about this for an hour, but if you're not able to see that that's not a penalty, how are you meant to be a referee at this fighter Bundesliga level? And this is the sort of decision that is so bad that back in the day we would have gone, oh, the ref's going to be embarrassed when he sees that back. And, you know, when he watches the highlights of this game and he sees that he made that sort of mistake, he's going to be shaking his head and going, God, I can't believe I made that mistake. But the referee did look at it. He had a chance to view it again through VAR and still managed to come to the wrong decision. Like, this is this is the thing that when people have their problems with VAR and say, I don't want it in the game, it's not VAR that's the problem. It's the fact that the referees apparently don't have functioning eyes. So, yeah, that was... That was truly a beyond stupid decision. It, it's hard to believe that a referee could get a call that wrong, especially with the technology. It is, it's as bad as the Nuremberg penalty from earlier on this season that I went on a massive rant about. Anyway, Zolis would then score the penalty. Honestly, I'm probably never going to have children because it's just a bad idea all around. But if I did have a kid and if they did that at football, I would not allow them to go out for a week they'd be grounded for for probably yeah definitely a week probably even longer because you know i expect my kid that i don't have to be more professional and more respectful of the game than that so yeah he should he should be ashamed of himself i don't care if they got a point they're top of the table they don't deserve to be top of the table hanover really deserved to win this match and actually, I've just gone and looked back at the Nuremberg penalty that I just referenced, and that was against Hanover. I completely forgot it was against Hanover. And I put, at the time, Hanover obviously deserved the win, easily the better side, that penalty decision was beyond terrible. And to be honest, those are my notes for this game as well, that I couldn't have put it better than I did for that Nuremberg game back in the day. Final game to mention then, Magdeburg 1, Paderborn 1, Paderborn opening the scoring in the 35th minute when Adriano Grimaldi would get his first goal for the club since joining from Saarbrücken this summer and it looked like for the longest time that they were going to hold on to that win because whilst Magdeburg had the majority of possession they weren't creating many good chances with it but in the 85th minute Lucas Stanios would score an equaliser for Magdeburg and that would get them a point. Magdeburg sixth in the table at the moment. Meanwhile, Paderborn, they are progressing because they got four points from their opening five games in the league and now they've got four points from their last two games. So they are improving, but still we would have probably expected more from them at the beginning of the season. Anyway, let's have a look then at the Spider Bundesliga table. After seven games, Fortuna Dusseldorf still lead the way on 14 points. They are one clear of second place St. Pauli, who are on 13. That's the same number of points that Hamburger in third and Kai Slauten in fourth have. Meanwhile, Hanover, Magdeburg and Holstein Kiel all on 12 points between fifth and seventh. Alversberg in eighth on 10 points. Absolutely fantastic. They are the informed side at the moment. They're the only team who have won each of their last three games having previously gone winless in their first four. So, you know, logic. At the wrong end of the table, Osnabrück may have picked up their first one of the season this weekend, but they are still only on four points and therefore 18th in the league. Eintracht Braunschweig are on five in 17th and Schalke fill out the relegation places. They are on seven points from their opening seven games. 
Paderborn, Dehan, Groysfirth and Karlsruhe all on 8 points. They're between 15th and 12th place. My player of the week this week in the Svita Bundesliga is Marcel Hartl of St. Pauli. I'm not just picking him because I'm incredibly biased towards him or because I'm a member of the Marcel Hartl fan club, though those two things are true. He was just dominant against Schalke. He was the best player on the pitch. And I think it's clear at this point, at least to me as a pessimistic or optimistic St. Paulo fan, I'll let you decide, that he will be playing in the Bundesliga next year, either with St. Pauli or with another side. But yeah, he has been absolutely sensational so far this season, and this was his best game and the best performance any player had in the Spider Bundesliga this weekend. Moving on, it's time for the first full edition of Going Deutsch Goes Continental, which this time includes the Champions League and Europa League for the first time. Obviously, we talked about Eintracht Frankfurt qualifying for the group stages of the Europa League in previous editions of the podcast, but now we're at the group stage phase for all of the German teams in European competition, that's obviously seven, and we will have a very brief description of how they did in their games. I've already addressed this on the website, I uploaded an article on Friday looking at how all the teams did. So there's a bit more detail in there, but I will quickly rattle off the results and go through some of the main stories around the games. And we'll do so first with the Champions League, then the Europa League and Europa Conference League, and all games sorted in chronological order. So let's start off with the first game then. Young Boys won Leipzig 3. The only goal of the game for Young Boys coming from Meshach Elia in the 33rd minute. Unfortunately not enough against Leipzig. I know I'm normally biased for German teams on this podcast. That is not going to happen with Leipzig unless they're playing like an awful team. And they will be playing awful teams in this group stage, at least one. But Young Boys, obviously a fantastic club, and their ultras, will say, weren't very impressed with the draw that they got for the group stage. They released a statement about their group opponents, and it is absolutely fantastic. So I'll just read parts of it. Quote, it could have been so good, but instead of formulating travel plans, young boy fans have been occupied with other topics since the draw. The multi-billion euro football business has grown into an even bigger, even more commercialised, even more immoral monster. Entire states have been carrying out passive sports washing by taking over clubs, big and small. World Cups handed to countries which trample all over democracy and human rights and various types of eccentric sugar daddies buying clubs for fun, but without any know-how. They all want to profit from football and turn it into even more of a permanent advertising event. Our Group G embodies all of this better than anything. In addition to the marketing constructs from Leipzig, which shamelessly and openly exists as a living advertising board, even our other opponents actually establish traditional clubs and not beyond criticism. Upon closer inspection, Manchester City are engaged in sports washing to cast the entire United Arab Emirates and their human rights abuses in a better light, and even Red Star Belgrade and their main sponsor Gazprom, a certified supporter of Russia's war of aggression against Ukraine, show that football is a dirtier business than ever there's more that they say but it is absolutely fantastic they end it with the quote naizu fußball mit red bull naizu comets naizu moderna fußball i i think there's a, a slight error there because i was absolutely certain that 
the franchise in Leipzig were owned by Monster Energy, not by Red Bull. But, you know, it's, it's just me. I might be wrong. So, yeah, Leipzig getting off to a 3-1 win, though, in their first group stage game. The next game, another game with some of the awful aspects of football that we don't like. PSG winning 2-0 against Borussia Dortmund. Borussia Dortmund were very bad in this game. They might as well have not started any attackers. And not just because of the fact that he's an awful human being, but I do want to point out Felix Metsch because he had a absolutely terrible game in this one as well. It's one of the worst performances I've seen by any player this season. Anyway, moving on to a game that I actually do want to talk about. Real Madrid 1, Union Berlin 0. This... Obviously, Union Berlin's story in the Champions League is a fairy tale, and I don't think it could have been written any better. Their first game in Champions League football is a trip to the Bernabeu to take on the record champions of the Champions League, Real Madrid. This is the stuff of legend, this is a fairy tale, and as I said on the website, the only thing that makes this not a fairy tale is that in the fairy tale, the team scoring the 94th minute goal would be the underdog. It would be Union Berlin, but that wasn't the case in the end. It was Real Madrid who scored in the 94th minute to win 1 0. That wasn't the only bad news from this game. The police in Madrid treated the Union Berlin fans horribly, and this is nothing new from Spanish police when it comes to football fans and there are a lot of reasons that we could go into as to why this is so common but whether it's police officers abusing their power because that's why they're going to policing not to actually help protect the community but just so they could exert power in a violent manner over people or whether it's encouraged by the cities because they want fewer football fans and more heavy spending tourists it doesn't really change the fact that the way these fans were treated, the way these were just passionate fans who were excited for the game were treated, was absolutely disgusting. And if we lived in a sane world, this would be a sort of situation where the chief of police would be forced to resign because it, it it's so disgraceful. But that's not going to happen because we do not live in a sane world. I don't know if you've noticed yet. But there were multiple reports about the way the Union fans were treated, whether it was the Spanish police not allowing flags into the stadium, which is objectively stupid, and also the fact that there were accusations of violence perpetrated by the Madrid police force. The Union Ultras have said that the Madrid police were using batons at head height, used pepper spray and threatened fans with rubber bullets. It's an absolute disgrace what happened to the Union Berlin fans in Madrid. And I would highly recommend reading the message from the Union Ultras about how they experienced their away game in Madrid. Still, the Union fans were absolutely fantastic if you had just listened to this game and listened to the atmosphere, you would have assumed that it was an Union Berlin home game, not a Real Madrid home game, because you could not hear their fans at all, and you could hear the Union Berlin fans. They were a credit to their side. Frederick Rono had one of the most impressive performances I've seen any keeper have in the Champions League recently. He was absolutely phenomenal. He did a good job of keeping Real Madrid out for so long. 
Leonardo Bonucci, I know we criticised him earlier for that penalty against Hoffenheim, but he added some much-needed experience to that Union Berlin backline, and I think it's why they were so good through this game. And I would also give credit to Robin Gersens and Brendan Amundsen for how they played, because they were both absolutely fantastic in this game as well. So a lot to be optimistic for from an Union Berlin perspective, because... They only lost 1-0 away at Real Madrid, and that's the hardest game they're going to get. So, hopefully they can build on this, and there are reasons to be optimistic about Union Berlin's campaign in the Champions League. Final game to mention, buying for Manchester United 3. I went into this game in a lot more detail on the website than I'm going to now, but this game had no business being as close as it was. The Man United goals, at least two of them, were fluky to be honest and then the other one was a goal when it was too late to do anything it was the last kick of the game for Bayern they should have won by a lot more granted they did get luck of their own the first goal which was scored by Leroy Sane really helped by horrendous goalkeeping from Andre Anana the Manchester United keeper but apart from that, Bayern were absolutely fantastic. Harry Kane scoring one, Matisse Tal scoring one, and Serge Nabry scoring one as well. So I'm happy about this, not only because I prefer Bayern over Manchester United, especially after what happened this summer, but also I did say that Bayern would win six from six in this group stage and if I had gone wrong from the first game I would have felt really stupid so luckily we're still on for that prediction they can still win all six games in their group. Moving on to the Europa League by Leverkusen beat Swedish side BK Hacken 4-0 two amazing goals to start off this game Florian Wirtz stripping the keeper for the 10th minute and then Amin Adli volleying in across in the 16th after that Leverkusen would score two goals in the space of four second-half minutes from Victor Boniface and Jonas Hoffman. So, a really good start to the Europa League for Bayer Leverkusen. It was also a winning start in the Europa League for Freiburg, who won 3-2 away at Olympiakos. Roland Salai would capitalise on a defensive mistake to score in the ninth minute. Vincenzo Grifo would score a penalty right at the end of the first half. Olympiakos did pull the game back twice though, they made it one all, they made it two all as well, but in the 86th minute Maxi Philip got the winner for Freiburg. By the way, the manager of Olympiakos, Diego Martinez, who you might remember worked wonders with Granada and then had not so great a spell at Espanyol, so it's weird to see how his career sort of not gone the way we all expected, we'll, we'll put it that way. Final game to mention, the Europa Conference League, Eintracht Frankfurt won 2-1 against Aberdeen. Really shouldn't be that close against a side like Aberdeen, but whatever, three points. Omar Mamouche scored from the spot in the 11th minute to give Frankfurt a 1-0 lead. They were pulled back in the 22nd minute by Dante Polvara, but the winner for Eintracht came in the 61st minute and it was Robin Koch getting his first goal for Eintracht, leaping up higher than anyone else to head in a corner. So a good start made by most German sides in European competition this season. Okay, it's now time to review match day 7 of the Dritte Liga. Dynamo Dresden have remained top of the league following a 2-1 win 
over the side who started the weekend in second place, Ezebajiao. They're now four points clear of the side now in second place, having won five in a row. The side in second place are Ulm, remarkably, who now look like the side who are most likely to do an Alversberg this year. They won 2-1 this weekend against Rock Vices, and they've won three on the bounce. Ezebajiao are in third place, and then Victoria Cone are in fourth, following a 2-0 win over Duisburg. Beside in fifth place, Borussia Dortmund Schwei. They scored in the 94th minute to win 3-2 away at Bull. So, over top of the table, Dresden 18 points, Um 14 points, Al 14 points, Köln 11 points, and Borussia Dortmund Schwei 11 points. Ingolstadt, Saarbrücken, Jan Regensburg and Untaschink are all on 10 points, alongside Sandhausen, who I didn't see. So, a real packed top of the table at the moment. At the wrong end of the table, it's still Duisburg, who are bottom, and they are still the only side of the league this season who haven't won a game. They lost, as mentioned, 2-0 to Victoria Köln. Freiburg Schwei, meanwhile, lost 4-1 to Ingolstadt. The other two sides in the relegation places, Hallescher and Lübeck, following a 2-0 loss to 1864 Hallescher and a one-all draw against Prussian Munster for Lübeck. So, Duisburg on three points, Freiburg on five, then Hallescher and Lübeck on seven which is the same number of points that they'll have there just outside relegation places. As mentioned, they lost 3-2 to Borussia Dortmund Schwei. And the good news for Armenia Bielefeld, they're actually out of the relegation places. It's a miracle and everything. They've been very used to the relegation places over the last two and a bit seasons. But they won 2-1 away at Untashing, who have been stumbling there down to ninth. As mentioned earlier, they have now gone three without a win. Okay, it is now time for the moment that everyone around the world has been waiting for, well, since about this time last year. It is time for the grand final of Kit Clash. And of course, in the last episode, it was a bit negative because we were talking about which kit was, in my opinion, the worst in Germany this year. But this time, it's a lot more positive as we, or I, I should say, judge which kit I think is the best in Germany this year. In the process, taking the crown off Stuttgart, who of course can't win because they didn't have a kit nominated, because they have that awful Winamax logo all of a sudden. At least in their words, it's not a Chinese betting sponsor, because that makes all the difference, apparently. I'm still not over it. That was last month that that happened, and I still keep referencing it every time I talk about the Stuttgart kit, but anyway, this isn't about negativity, this is about positivity, and the best kit in Germany this year. So, obviously, the same rules apply for the best kit final as they did for the worst kit final. There are 16 kits that have been nominated to become the best kit in Germany this year, 15 of them were nominated over three weeks, five at a time per league, and then I have picked an additional wild card to go in to this final. And the kit I have picked is the Ulm Away kit. You can look at this at footballkitarchive.com. I will put a link to it in the podcast description. But the Ulm Away kit is, is quite nice. It's a black kit. I'm always a big fan of black kits, but it has a nice design on the arms. And primarily, the main reason I think this kit's really nice is the sort of rainbow badge that they've put on. I am a, I'm a sucker for a rainbow badge. It's absolutely fantastic. 
And yeah, it just makes the kit a bit brighter. The home kit for Ulm this year actually is really nice and it nearly got into the final itself. But the away kit is fantastic and it just about edged Fortuna Dusseldorf's home kit to be the wild card. So that is our 16 sorted. Like I said, you can go to footballkitarchive.com if you want to look at these kits as I go through the final and see which one you prefer, which one you think is the best kit in Germany this year. But with nothing more to be said, it's time to commence the final of Kit Clash for the 2023-24 season. And we're going to start off with Armenia Bielefeld's home kit brought to us by Macron against Schalke's home kit brought to us by Adidas. I do like both of these kits. I do think they're very nice. Obviously, that's why they're in the final. But I do think there's more going on with the Armenia Bielefeld kit that I enjoy than with the Schalke kit. And it's for that reason that Armenia Bielefeld is the first kit through to the quarterfinals. Next up, Doisberg's third kit brought to us by Capelli against Osnabrück's home kit, which is also brought to us by Capelli. Both of them are very nice, but I do think the Osnabrück kit is slightly classier than the Doisberg kit. I do love the Doisberg kit. I think I said it had Rainbow Cafe vibes. That's probably harsh, in all fairness. But yeah, I do like sort of what it honours and how it goes about looking bright and vivid and all that. And it is very nice, but the Osnabrück kit just slightly preferred by me. Next up. Dinamo Dresden's home kit brought to us by Umbro against Nuremberg's third kit brought to us by Adidas. This is a very tough choice. Both of them absolutely fantastic, which is what you expect when you get to this stage. But I think I'm just going to go for the Dinamo Dresden home kit. Again, both are fantastic. I would buy both if I were a fan of their club. But the, the Dresden home kit is exceptional, so that one goes through. Next up, Ezebergi Owl's home kit brought to us by Nike against Bayer Leverkusen's away kit brought to us by Castore. And this one is one of the easiest ones for me. I do like the Owl kit. I do like how it celebrates the local mining. And it is nice, but the Leverkusen away kit is absolutely sensational. So that one goes through. Next up, 1860 Munich's away kit brought to us by Nike against Borussia Mönchengladbach's home kit. Brought to us by Puma. Again, both nice kits, but I do think this is fairly easy for me. The kit going through is Borussia Mönchengladbach's home kit. Next up, Ulm, the wildcard. Their away kit brought to us by UHL Sport against Eintracht Frankfurt's home kit brought to us by Nike. You can probably tell by the fact that Ulm was the wildcard, but it doesn't go through against Eintracht Frankfurt's fantastic home kit. Next up, HSV's home kit brought to us by Adidas against Mines' away kit brought to us by Jayco. I do like the Mines kit, but there's more going on with the HSV kit. This is very similar to Bielefeld against Schalke, therefore HSV unfortunately go through. Finally, Holstein Kiel's third kit brought to us by Puma against Union Berlin's third kit brought to us by Adidas. I do love the colour combination of the Union Berlin kit, but the Holstein Kiel kit just stands out. It looks exceptional to me therefore i'm going to send through the holstein keel kit long live the traffic cone <laughs> okay that brings us into the quarter finals and eight kits remain from the first round 
The first of the matchups, Armenia Bielefeld home kit by Macron against Borussia Mönchengladbach's home kit by Puma. This is a really tough choice, but I think I'm just going to side with the Gladbach kit because it is just so classy, so clean, so simple. It's absolutely fantastic. The Bielefeld home kit is fantastic as well. It looks more like a rugby shirt, but it does work for me, and that's why it ended up as a quarter-finalist. Next up, Osnabrück's home kit brought to us by Capelli against Eintracht Frankfurt's home kit brought to us by Nike. No contest here. Eintracht Frankfurt's home kit goes through. Next up, Dinamo Dresden's home kit brought to us by Umbro against HSV's home kit brought to us by Adidas. Again, no contest. Dinamo Dresden go through to the semi-final. And finally, the hardest most certainly, Bayer Leverkusen's away kit brought to us by Castore against Holstein Kiel's third kit brought to us by Puma. This one, this one is tough because I do love the traffic cone, but I do also love the sash design of the Bayer Leverkusen away kit. I think it just has to be the Bayer Leverkusen away kit really edging it. It was exceptionally close, but that is the kit that goes through to the semi-finals and let's get those semi-finals underway immediately. Dinamo Dresden's home kit brought to us by Umbro against Borussia Mönchengladbach's home kit brought to us by Puma. I am going to go with the Dinamo Dresden home kit. That is the first kit into the final. The next one is either going to be by Leverkusen's away kit by Castore or Eintracht Frankfurt's home kit by Nike. I'm going to let you in on a secret. I had to actually pause the recording just to give myself extra thinking time. But I think the one thing that makes me pick the kit I'm going to pick is the fact that the design makes it look three-dimensional and it adds a bit more to the kit than the other one. And you can probably guess by now that means that Bayer Leverkusen's away kit is going through. I, I, just, I think it ha has that extra spark that the Eintracht Frankfurt home kit doesn't have. So that brings us on to the final of Kit Clash for 2023-24. It is Dinamo Dresden's home kit brought to us by Umbro. Dinamo Dresden, obviously, of the Dritter Liga against Bayer Leverkusen's away kit brought to us by Castore of the Bundesliga. This, this is exceptionally tough. The kit that has lost has only lost because I have one tiny gripe with it, which is how it incorporates the sponsor. Um, the other one doesn't have this gripe. I don't really have any complaints about it at all, which means that the winner of Kit Clash for the 2023-24 season is the Dinamo Dresden home kit. Congratulations to them on winning the most prestigious award in Germany. Who even needs to win the Bundesliga? Who even needs to be in the top two tiers of German football when you can have the best kit in the country? I didn't realise this, by the way, right up until, well, about a minute ago. But the Dinamo Dresden home kit is actually based on a kit they used to have in the 89-90 season. So the fact that it's also like bringing back a classic is absolutely fantastic. That kit was okay. Definitely not as good as this kit. But both are fantastic. And the new version of the kit definitely does deserve the title of best kit in Germany for 2023-24. 
Okay, let's finish off the podcast in the good old-fashioned way with Topspiel Das Wochenende, all times given in Central European summertime. As per usual, if you're in the UK, knock off one hour. In the Bundesliga, just because I don't want to pick the energy drink team in my game of the weekend, I'm going to go with Heidenheim against Union Berlin. Heidenheim obviously have made a reasonable start to their first season in the Bundesliga. Four points from five games. They are three points clear of the relegation places at the moment. And they have shown that they can play well against some of the big guns. Not this weekend. That's not a good example. But before that, they can play well against sides in this league. Union Berlin are a side who can understand the position Heidenheim are currently in. Of course, it was them in the exact same spot a few years ago when they were first promoted to the Bundesliga. But they won't be showing Heidenheim any mercy because they need a big bounce back when they have lost their last three on the bounce in the league. And of course, they lost another one in the Champions League as well against Real Madrid. And they have been struggling against what we would normally call lesser opposition. They really should have been doing a lot better than they did against Hoffenheim. And they are going to want to show that they are the same Union Berlin we have become accustomed to over the last few years. So that is a Saturday 3.30pm kickoff in the Zweite Bundesliga. I don't want to keep picking them because, you know, I'm a St. Pauli fan. And I don't want to tell people to go and watch this side. But I have to pick HSV against Fortuna Dusseldorf. It's interesting enough because it's first against third, but also with all the stuff we've been talking about with HSV, this is really not the time to be taking on a side as good as Fortuna. If you do want to look at it glass half full though, the fact that they have this game allows them to make a statement because if they come through this and have a convincing victory against the side who are currently top of the league and have the chance to go back to top then suddenly all of those worries will be gone in the dritter liga oh sorry i should have probably said for that is a friday 6 30 p.m kickoff in the dritter liga i'm going to go with ingolstadt against ulm Ulm have been fantastic so far this year. As mentioned, three wins on the bounce. Second in the league, they could do an Alversberg and go straight through the Dritter Liga, which would be absolutely fantastic. Ingolstadt themselves, though, are a very good side. They're sixth on ten points. They've won their last two games on the bounce, and a win here could help them close the gap to the promotion places. They've tasted the Spider Bundesliga recently. For Ulm, it's been a longer time since they've been in the second tier. But this is going to be a good game. It is a Saturday 2 o'clock kickoff. It's also worth remembering that there are DFB Pokal games this week. Prussian Munster are hosting Bayern Munich on Tuesday and Weyhen are hosting Leipzig on Wednesday. But for the time being, that's all the time we have on the Going Deutsch podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to be back next week to talk about even more from the wonderful world of German football. I hope to see you then, but for the time being, I've been Alex Woodward, and until we meet again, I'll be the same.